Hello and welcome back to the Undercut Podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Jesse Billington, and I'm joined, as always, by the champagne spray to my trophy celebration, Timo Elbus Daly, and the celebratory donuts to my championship title, Ellie Mae Taylor. How are you both? I'm very well and definitely better than Ellie Mae is, which we'll get to in a second. But I'm also just not going to question why you're being suspiciously nice in your introduction and just move on to Ellie Mae. It's it's the end of the season. We can put all past sins behind us, and I figured it'd be quite good to put like a, a proper sort of championship celebratory spin to it. For championship once. celebration, if they in this case of think fuck that's over. Yeah, I'll think of something mean to say about you when we do the feeders one. Don't worry. Uh, because the race, you know, went was quite boring in a sense. Uh, some uh, well. I thought I would go out and get well. Someone decided that they would hit our car, so I'm in. What you get for missing Abu Dhabi? Yeah, I'm in slight pain right now. The I think a lot of the shock went through my spine, and I also hit the door, so my arm and knees are a bit bruised. But sad times. But here we are. Your listeners can't see the video that we will have, but she's bandaged head to toe in a comedic posture, to her, so you know it's serious. Mm. they even stuck one of those sort of proper old school comedic thermometers in her mouth that's the only thing you can see protruding from the bandages well at least it's in my mouth yeah we'll leave moving the, swiftly on we'll leave the audience with that image um, we'll dive straight into um, all the action from this weekend's Abu Dhabi Grand Prix of course the last Grand Prix of the season race 22 of 22 or technically race 23 of 22. Um, and we'll look back at some of the news that's come out of the world of Formula One in the past week. And um, we'll dive in with McLaren extending their contract with Mercedes as their power unit supplier until 2030. They've done them well this season. They've produced a relatively competitive car, especially once they got the aero sorted out. So, I mean, there's very little to change. And equally, Mercedes make a good power unit. But do you think it's... Do you think it's a good idea that they've agreed such a long-term contract? Because you've got to think that the regulations change in 2025. They don't know what that new engine's going to be like. I think it's it's a bold call for them to sign on for quite some time after the new regulations. You're putting a lot of faith in Mercedes being able to understand the 26 regs and getting a power unit set up for it. But equally, Mercedes have never had bad power units. They've always had a good engine development team it's always been their chassis or aerodynamics that have been their letdown so i think this is a wise move in that regard given the previous form we've seen from them as constructors so we'll see how it spans out in due course i think as well it gives them plenty of time after the new regulations to watch what everyone else is doing and if there are any other manufacturers coming in who work with any other teams that we just don't know about yet or who get enticed after the regulations come in it gives them more time to develop enough for them to see if they want to continue that past 2030 or if they want to risk it and go somewhere else. Mm. Although the one thing that might impact this is something we actually sort of, I think we missed it halfway through the season, was there was a technical directive released quite early on in the year, um, which was a cost cap loophole that they tightened up. And it was a technical directive surrounding special project divisions. This was teams, I think it was Mercedes, Red Bull and Aston Martin that operate applied technology divisions, which they, which they designed for and consult on projects outside of Formula One. 
because those projects aren't related to the team's Formula One operations, their expenditure fell outside of the cost cap regulations. Between Canada and Austria, uh, the FIA introduced this technical directive that prevented teams from transferring intellectual property from their special project divisions to their F1 operations, essentially cost-free. Um, so what they did was they closed that loophole and said there's not to be this transference of intellectual property. I do recall it vaguely bringing up a, an argument about what constitutes the right um sort of intellectual property but this is going to impact mercedes they have one of those special project divisions are we all of a sudden going to see them take another step backwards in the in their competitiveness as we go forwards yeah i don't know it, it, it poses an interesting question certainly and we'll see how it sort of pans out so we've got 24 and 25 left to run on the current standard settings and we'll see whether or not development for the related teams is hampered or not but uh, we'll see how it goes from there speaking of applied technologies there's some more news from the weird world of formula g we mentioned this on the preview podcast to the abu dhabi grand prix and this is the startup electric feeder series and they now have a technical partner qev or quev i assume it's going to be just qev because quev sounds weird it's like crisp um Details, as with the original news, are still very scant, but it's a step in the right direction having a technical partner. Obviously, Formula E, I believe, has Williams as their technical partner. They produce the batteries and electric powertrains. So I'm assuming Quev is going to be doing something similar for Formula G, but we'll wait and see how this one pans out. It's all a bit sort of a minefield at the moment, but something we do know more about is WEC, and they've announced their 2024 lineup, mostly. We've covered a lot of it previously. We've obviously looked at people that could be moving certain teams. Ferrari maybe bringing a third car in the LMP hyperclass. Um, but crucially, the one thing I really want to bring this up for was the fact that Valentino Rossi has been confirmed as racing for Team WRT in the LMGT3 class. It'll be his debut in the series after spending a year in world touring cars, and um, we'll be racing at the 24 hours of Le Mans so I'm very happy to see the doctor again behind the wheel and um, producing some pretty stellar drives yeah it's going to be very interesting to see how he gets on there it's again the first I think most GP driver to ever compete in a full season of WEC ever so that's in itself regardless of how it goes it's going to be quite a fascinating experiment to watch and yeah I mean WEC was already exciting but they've kind of they keep ramping up the hype for it already and we're not even in 2024 yet and the calendar looks spectacular as well so it looks like it's it could be a crack in it yeah we've got some good rounds lined up you know how in the last episode we were talking about how we didn't know who mercedes reserve driver would be whilst all their other reserve drivers are in work mm. i think we've got esteban gutierrez we did man who you and I have seen driving a Mercedes F1 car around Silverstone. Yes. Doesn't and say a lot for him, though, does it? <laughs> if, you, if you two both have seen him in that and have forgotten about him. Well, I've also seen him at Goodwood as well. Oh, yeah. You're not helping your case, though. was there, wasn't he? Yeah. No. Yeah. Well, it's because you don't... I don't hear him actively racing anywhere else. Maybe he races in series that I don't follow. I don't think so. I mean, I've not seen his name pop up anywhere, to be honest. No, exactly. So that's why I sort of forgot about him. And then I saw him on the weekend and thought, ah, he... you're, you're probably the reserve driver that's stepping in when everyone else is racing in WEC. He raced last year for Glickenhaus in WEC, but that, that was it. That was his last big championship, I believe. Um, he's done a bit of IMSA this year. 
And he's obviously Mercedes development driver as well. So he's kept his hand in there with the um, sort of development of the car. But yeah, it's he's been quiet. I forgot that he also did um, Formula E for a bit as well. So he's he's dabbled around, but... Um, hmm. That was a good while ago, though. Yeah, he did. Yeah, IMSA this year, he was in the LMB2 spec there running in a raker. So, uh, yeah, we'll, we'll see what happens if Mercedes need to call on a reserve driver during a WEC weekend. But um, we'll see as to whether or not they do pull a Gutierrez out of the bag. But equally, I think at this point, Vesti will have enough points on his super license to be able to make that step up if needs be. And he seems competent enough. I know we'll talk more about the FP2s next, actually, which is where we dive into the practice rounds. And of course, we had Rookie Watch. We had 10 rookie drivers to F1 scattered throughout the grid um, and in descending order from FP1 we had Drogovic in P2 conversely Stroll in P5 so uh, did all right there um, Schwarzman P8 Carlos Sainz P7 just 0.033 seconds between them Vesti in P12 Russell in first uh, Duan P13 Gasly P9 Porsche P14 Bottas P4 Ward P15 Piastri P6 Dennis P16 Hadjar P17 O'Sullivan P18 Sergeant P11 and then Behrman in P20 with Magnussen in P19 0.107 seconds between them so a relatively mixed field I think we're not at all surprised to see um, Drugovic and Schwarzman performing well Schwarzman obviously well acquainted with the Ferrari chassis as the same for Drugovic who of course did the pre-season testing for Aston Martin and their other rookie drive but uh, who for you stood out? I mean I think it's always fascinating to watch an FP1 session with fresh blood like this and quite so much of it as well it was quite refreshing to see just how many new drivers that were in there Rogovic is the obvious one but given that he knows the track well from previous years and his role with the team it's not too surprising at the same time I think Schwartzman then that was a pleasant surprise, but again, he's had a couple of these outings. So I think weirdly, Behrman, just because of how weirdly bad K-Mag did in that first that first session, I wasn't expecting it to be that close. And for all of the rookies, but one, I think, to, to be ahead of him was not good for... I know, I know it's a has, but it's just you'd still expect him to be above at least a few more of them. Um, so I don't know which one drive driver impressed me the most there. I think it's yeah, maybe Vesti and I don't know because they've all kind of done all right. But I think maybe just Jake Dennis because we've not really seen him out on track in a car properly. Mm. Yeah, I'm sort of the same in the sense that I think all of them did quite well. I think the wind conditions are making the cars quite sensitive and. They were all able to handle it, you know, when they were sort of losing it at points, they were able to sort of collect it back. I thought as well it was interesting to see the difference in experience between or within the rookies. You could see Jake Dennis was giving a lot of informative feedback to the team and as well teams brought their younger sort of next generation engineers to Abu Dhabi. So that kind of feedback from those like um, from people like Jake Dennis who are quite experienced in racing that's also really valuable to them and giving them sort of a better work experience as well yeah he was a safe pair of hands to sort of coordinate on the circuit and therefore they could be reliably informed of what to do and exactly how they're doing things while he also could get a chance to figure out how the car feels and a lot of his radio communication was about balance within the car i mean 
for me, it has to be Jack Doohan, really. Pretty good performance, relatively close to Gasly. Obviously, it's tricky to tell. They're going to be running cars with different setups and different error rakes on them, different fuel loads. But generally speaking, Doohan looked relatively at home within that car and was performing quite comfortably and was able to extract some pace from it pretty quickly. And equally, he didn't seem too phased moving back to Formula 2 later on in the weekend, where he sort of was able to hop between the two series with relative competence and ease. So there is, there is a really good driver that's so he arguably handled it better than Porsche did um, in terms of switching between the two. Because whilst obviously Porsche didn't have too bad a weekend, he didn't half make it tricky for himself to get to that point. Yeah. Whereas Vesti did all right in an F1 car and then drove the absolute socks off his car in, in Formula 2, which we'll get to in that podcast. Whereas Dewan just went, eh. I've got nothing really to prove here. I'm just going to go and have a nice time and do what I'm going to do. And he did. He took everything in his stride really well, which was uh, quite an impressive thing to see. Moving through the practice sessions, Carlos spun in FB2, as did Hulkenberg. It really seemed to disrupt the long-run plans that a lot of the teams had laid out to try and sort of make up for a bit of lost time in FB1. And then coming into FB3, Red Bull was still fighting their setup, really. They were struggling to get drivability into the car towards the end of it. They were suffering from the car bottoming out, from it porpoising, from it feeling a bit nervy on corner entry. The back end wasn't as planted as they often have it. It really didn't seem to be a very set-up car at all, but the rest of FP3 was eh, mixed. I think teams, especially when it's in these changing conditions where the track goes from day to night or through, runs into the dusk period for the racing seasons, it's FP1 and FP3 are often sort of disregarded a little bit because it's not truly respective of how the track's going to behave. So I think FP3 was a little bit of an outlier in that regard, much as FP1 was. But then we dive into qualifying. And, well, I mean, we'll start from the bottom and work our way up. In um, Q1, Sergeant failed to get a clean lap in, suffering from track limits at turn one mostly. It was, it was a real shame that one, but to be fair, because he was showing some proper pace. And if he could have just, it wasn't even that big a track limit either. And just like, oh, if you could have just kept it in, it would have at least been Q2. Yeah, that is, he was really, really on it and was able to sort of properly knuckle down and get some pace out of the car. It's just the finessing bits, the little rough edges that he's still got as a driver. But I think given the the raw pace he can now show over one lap is far more of a, a good sign than anything we've seen across the year. So it's, it's good if Williams decide to keep him on for next year. They still haven't actually I think they should. That. I think Just they should. Because other drivers have got in more than one season when they definitely, if we're going to be brutal and harsh about it, they shouldn't have. So at least given that second season and then at the end of next year when we've got a bunch of contracts up for renewal anyway, and that has potential then to break other contracts depending on what happens, then just have a mass exodus and a mass, mass, massive switch around then rather, and mm. have a mutual grid for 25, but just keep it business as usual for 24. Then at least you all know where you're at. You're like, okay, we've all tried this for a couple of years now, at least with everyone. Yeah, we might need to make some changes now. And Williams, that's a massive gap up to P6 in the championship. And would you rather keep building a relationship with a driver that you know is good, just needs a little finessing, like you say, or would you rather start from scratch again with someone and there's no guarantees of anything? Mm. I think they're definitely going for the continuity side when it comes to Sargent. I think the tough thing is, is you've got Lawson there. I think without him, you'd almost think, yeah, keep Sargent in. Well, that's um, where the hairbrain idea comes into it, Eddie May, and I can solve the Lawson problem for you in two seconds. 
Oh God, go on though. Max Verstappen decides he's got nothing left to prove and retires. We get Perez and Ricardo in Red Bull and then Yuki and Lawson are in whatever that team is called next year. Job's done. Sergeant gets to keep his seat. Do you think they'd move up Ricardo or do you think they'd move up Sonoda? I think they'd move up Ricardo purely for the purpose of annoying you on a personal level. I think they'd keep Ricardo at Alpha Tower or whatever it becomes. Well, need whichever to whichever they need to one they move, the they'd have Lawson in the Lawson, move Lawson the up seat, to yeah. Red Bull. Yeah. But I think after the weekend he's had, and then we'll get to it, we get to winners and spinners. Um, I think Sonoda deserves at least one season in that Red Bull, even if it is the cursed chance. Yeah, I stick Lawson up there straight away, I say, make them both play under in the second team. <laughs> we'll wait and see. Um, but anyway, of course, Sergeant, as we mentioned, struggled to get in a clean lap, suffering from those limits at turn one. Sainz was also out in Q1, which was very much a shock, and he was suffering from disrupted runs and a bit of traffic through the laps. Ultimately, though, it seems to very much be poor planning from Ferrari that just sort of put him out into the middle of the field um, that meant the intense final sector took its toll on the Ferrari's tyres, and it was unable to uh, put in a competitive time. Meanwhile, Hamilton out in Q2, another shock. The pace of Sonoda and Hulkenberg over one lap was just too much to counter too late into the session. Obviously, the uh, track suffered sort of evolution and as it rubbered in, um, Hulkenberg and Sonoda were able to really pump in some fast times and Hamilton just didn't seem to be able to piece together a lap in that Q2 session and as a result was knocked out by essentially um, Hulkenberg, Sonoda and Gasly were the three sort of surprises into that top 10 that would have otherwise been a, a shoe in spot for him. He had been struggling throughout the whole weekend already and he said himself before qualifying that he didn't think he'd make it into Q3. So maybe that was just the pace that he had. It could well have been the raw pace that he had. And again, it didn't look promising come Sunday. It looked a bit better in long run pace. But even then, that Mercedes has uh, very much outlived its shelf life at this point. And while we didn't see your prediction of Toto Wolf eating it into the harbour come true, there was a lot of memes about it. And even I think uh, Martin Brundle mentioned it on like the the pre-practice amble on the Friday ahead of FP1. There was um, the discussion that the Mercedes W14 this year has been a bit of a dog and... Uh, would be surprised to see it in the harbour at the end of the season. Um, the trendsetter. Trendsetter. They obviously listen to the podcast. They take it on. Someone writes it down into the scripts for across the weekend. The social media teams at the F1 paddock obviously listen to it and make the joke as well. Um, after that, though, into Q3, Sonoda would qualify sixth overall. Norris just fifth after a massive slide in the final sector, ruining his time. But it was a phenomenal slide. It was a proper 1960s F1 style putting it through the turn on the lock stops, really impressive. And it looked fantastic, even if it wasn't particularly fast. Yes, but then it ultimately cost him. Yeah, so, it did cost him. I, I don't think it was intentional, but it looked fantastic. It did look good. If only you got points for that. And there oh, should be style points. But if if he were to come along... Please don't give them ideas. That's very much a Bernie Eccleston concept, isn't it? Um, points for style. Yes, but they um, appear to just be happening to do points and gimmicks for anything these days so please just don't but I was thinking more if Lando Norris were to sort of enter like the Chichester Cup or something at Goodwood he'd be well atoned to sliding an F1 car it'd just be just be he'd know how to handle it well exactly it'd it'd be good you'd see his sort of yellow and blue striped helmet just wrangling it out of the chicane onto the start finish line I can't remember if it was Brundle or 
um, Brockton, he was saying, oh, it looks like he might actually be able to challenge this. And I just thought, oh dear, they've cursed him. He's about to crash. And then you came so close. I'm like, oh. It was very yeah, commentator's curse because he had been absolutely on the limit through that lap. And I think it had just taken too much out of the rear tyres on that car, especially as you go into the sort of double right-hander and then you go to the double left and then the second double right. Going through that double left, I don't think the back had too much left in it and he just asked too much. And possibly again, like we saw in um, Las Vegas, it might have just been a downshift between the corners that just overstressed those rear tyres and he caught it this time instead of ended up in the wall coupled with the bounce but yeah it was it was an interesting qualifying session certainly but uh, arguably more interesting than the race which according to my notes only extends for six points which is um, relatively standard start and a straightforward race from the off significant moments were science pitting and putting on a second set of hard tyres for no apparent reason um, Alonso brake checking Hamilton Norris and Perez colliding in turn 5 and otherwise it was relatively processional though Yuki Sonoda did lead for a few laps and again we will get to that in due course um, I think the most interesting thing though was towards the end obviously the main battle across this weekend was the fight for P2 and the Constructors Championship which both George Russell and Charles Leclerc were hot on to their radios about across the race. And uh, to the point that once Charles found out that Perez had that penalty and was steaming back through, um, Charles essentially was running his own strategy calls and dropped back to let Perez through so he could then also defend from Russell and hopefully secure Perez that P2 and thus deny Russell the points that Mercedes needed in the constructors to finish clear of Ferrari. Didn't work out. Perez wasn't able to pull off a, a big enough gap to Russell so uh, it 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 didn't pay off there in the end but it was it was a bold call it was very Charles. nice to see though I mean even as someone who wanted Mercedes to get that P2 you could I couldn't help but chuckle at the player finally kind of channeling his inner Carlos signs and being like oh yeah I can't rely on the team to secure this for us I've got to do something here and I've got to make the strategy calls and force them into it so it was like if it had worked, I'm like, you know what? You deserve that because you've actually you've used big brain for, for a change instead of just listening to Ferrari. And yeah, it's kind of the only time you'd ever see a Ferrari helping a Red Bull and you're like, what is going on here? Is this the state of the championship that we're in now that you're just casually helping each other out to do this? And you do wonder if they'd told Perez on the radio before he went past what was going on or if he was like, Charles is. Just, is he just slowing down? Oh my God, he's letting me pass. Oh my, did you, you just want to know what was going on there in, I, in his head or if he, if he knew or not. Red Bull didn't know that that was Charles' plan. I think they'd kept it off the radio purpose or Charles adopted to keep it off radio purposefully so no one knew what was happening. And because there was a brief moment where Perez was sort of staying behind Charles, wondering what the hell he was doing and then eventually saw that it was going to be a gap for him. He obviously figured out quite what Charles was anticipating Checo doing and sort of seized the opportunity and went for it. But unfortunately, it was like a lap and a bit to go at that point or barely a lap. And it was just too much. It was still classically Ferrari in terms of great idea, but you left it too late. Yeah, it was the the right concept and the just about the right execution, but just timed so badly. Um, but yeah, it was interesting. And equally, I think George had figured out exactly what they were doing as well. And I know they spoke about it afterwards. Um, but it, yeah, I think at that point, everyone's sort of just sort of giving it their all to try and solve the last few sort of arguable positions on the on the standings. But it was it provided a little bit of fun just at the finale. It provided that little gasp of excitement. And um, 
rounded out a relatively mediocre season with at least one another weird phenomenon happening. It got my heart rate going more than being involved in a car crash, so... Well, it's something. I don't know whether that's how Liberty Media really measure the metrics of the performance of Formula One, but... You wait, that'll be on their next advert. Much like in F2, where you see like the biometric trace, it's just sort of like a, a range level of... A, a racing versus other activity, and it just gets the, the activity just gets sillier as the season goes on. Yeah, that could be quite the odd one. And then, of course, the, the weirdness continued post-race as well, because Perez was called to the steward's office for calling them a joke on his radio. Um, this was in relation to the steward's decision between his collision with Norris in turn five, or in turn six even. And um, yeah, I think it, there there is an actual line in the FIA code of conduct that he was called to the stewards over, and he believed that he shouldn't have been given that five-second penalty called the stewards a joke um, on his radio, which I think is quite like benign language. I wouldn't be offended at that. I'd have called them a lot worse. I Across the season, I've certainly called the stewards far worse. Um, but yeah, it's it feels like that was unnecessary from the stewards more so than anything. Like everyone moans and bickers about the stewards across the season. And also they were weirdly pernickety about team personnel wearing the appropriate eyewear while doing pit stops. Like, I'm so glad nothing came of that. It would have been such nonsense to try and decipher. It's just, who was the stewarding team for this weekend and why all of a sudden did they become so ainly retentive over those boring of elements? Because nothing else was going on during the race. Very true. They needed to give Twitter something to talk about. Speaking of things to talk about, we'll move towards our winners and spinners. And Ellie May, we'll open up with your winner, please. Um, I've gone for Fernando Alonso because I think, well, I didn't think coming into this weekend that Alonso would finish fourth in the Drivers' Championship, to be honest, but I don't You have little faith of the goat. I know. You can't, don't ever doubt, doubt Fernando Alonso. Can't hold a good goat down. Exactly. He's tried. It was a classic Alonso drive as well with that weird gamesmanship, like brake testing Hamilton was sort of an odd move. It was very sort of... It was just such an... It wasn't even subtle, though. That was the... No, because you see him looking through his mirror before doing it as well. It was like looking, visibly can hear it, and just like, come on, bro. No, Uh, you're not not even trying to hide it, but uh, it's that spicy Alonso. He's coming back. He's he's, he's sort of um, de-aging in a way. He's sort of Benjamin buttoning his way back to sort of his youth and competitiveness. So if we're currently at the level of him shithousing with Hamilton, with Mercedes engines in the back of their cars, how long till we get back to the level of him in his championship winning ages? We've only got a few more years to go before we get back to 06, 05 Alonso. I mean, ideally, I'd love it if they can really be on the new rigs for 26 and he kind of just capitalises on that and then gets a championship and bugs off at the end of 26 because he's got nothing left to prove at that point. So it was 07 where it was him holding Hamilton up in the pits and all that and that was the weird Hamilton-Alonso battle. So we've only got one year, two years. Two years gets us to just before we change regs. So while the Mercedes engine is good in the back of that Aston Martin, we've got a chance for him to Benjamin Button his way back to 2005 Alonso. He did say that this year was his, he thought was one of his best ever. 
But there we go. He's he's heading in that direction. Timo, who was your winner? For reasons we've already discussed, it's got to be Charles Leclerc because I think he accepted his fate that he wasn't going to win this race and maximised the most he could out of it and finally kind of got that big raining before interest. It was nice to see that kind of chance. I'm like, where the hell have you been all year? I mean, it might not have made a difference to making a dent into Red Bull, but in terms of the fight for P2 with Mercedes, if he'd been doing this a bit more all year, God knows where you'd actually be and how not completely ginormous the gap to Red Bull would have been. It would have just been big, but, you know, it would have been encouraging to see. And hopefully this isn't a one-off and we can see that into next year. Because if we can have both Charles and Carlos like this, then A, the strategists will actually have to listen and they might learn a thing or two and that will help Ferrari overall. And if not, it gives us something to talk about off track. Or they just sack the strategists and just have Charles and Carlos as their strategists. To be honest, if they sack the strategists, I don't know if anyone would notice at the moment. Mm. Well, crucially though, obviously a lot of people have uh, muttered about Sebastian Vettel heading to WEC and thinking, oh, that'd be a perfect thing for him to go racing with. Um, he always loved doing a bit of Ferrari strategy to Sebastian Vettel. If they do bin off their current team, what's to say he doesn't return to the Scuderia and win his championship with Ferrari that way as their um, chief strategist? That could be like the ultimate gamesmanship from Sebastian Vettel. I'm going to have to look back to the Michael Schumacher days and see how much he of like he did his own strategy. Hmm. How much of that was sort of him coordinating? There was also the difference back then if there was actually a team that had been put in place and implemented over a number of years that actually worked. Mm. The Scuderia at that point in time was also a good outfit. It wasn't just sort of two drivers battling against a team of sort of inept Italians on a pit wall. Um, but before I say something about the Italians, I ought not to. We'll dive into my winner. And Yuki Sonoda, for me, hands down, an incredible drive from Yuki Sonoda and like a perfect way to really cap off Franz Tost's career as um, team principal over at Minardi, Alpha Tauri, Toro Rosso. Um, so it's, yeah, a really fitting end to that and equally just on Sonoda's ground alone, a really, really impressive drive against a challenging strategy. It didn't really work out for him too well, but um, he now stands eighth in the laps led standings outdoing Fernando Alonso and Oscar Piastri. But that's, that's, quite know, that's where the real money lies. Yeah, that's where the real money lies. The biggest prize money is given to the person who, who's led the eighth most amount of laps across the year. But it's... I mean, if you'd placed a bet on that at the beginning of the year, then I'd block my cap to you, but something tells me you didn't quite do that. I didn't, no. I placed a lot worse bets, mostly on Ferrari. Um, but speaking of I, my bets... I wonder with a better strategy whether Sonoda would have been able to keep a high enough position to get AlphaTauri enough points because he, he pitted a lot later, which hindered him. I think if he had pitted around the same time as everyone else did, I think AlphaTauri now might have got seventh. They might well have done. This was a little bit of a drop ball for them. I think, unfortunately, it was they didn't have enough time for him to fight back through, even if he had the tyre offset. But regardless, he had a fantastic drive. He always seems to go well in Abu Dhabi. Everyone forgets that 2021, he finished fourth there, which is... Like, so because no one's thinking about that when it comes to Abu Dhabi 2021, no one's looking at anything else from that race. Ever. True. 
but it just he, he's just underrated at times like he just has a, on occasion these absolutely ballistic drives and I know I've been pouring over his data a lot putting together our season review and looking at his qualifying and his race results and so on it's a really talented little driver in there and I want to see him do some more but anyway um, we'll move into our spinners and team I will start with yours got to be Kevin Magnuson because for reasons that we talked about before we started recording, it's impressive to finish below a driver who didn't actually finish the Grand Prix. And I don't know, I mean, it's, it's Kevin Magnussen and Haas, but I feel like I say Haas so often as it is that I'm going to pick on Kevin here. Sorry. Um, no, I'm not. And just putting so road. early to try and go, yeah, but what's that got to do with the race? Nothing. It did him no good whatsoever. And if anything, she didn't put the gloves on tight enough and maybe he would have driven quicker. So maybe she needs to up her game. Um, yes, I'm having a go at that. You're having a go at Laura Magnuson for <laughs> Kevin's and Hass's underperformance. I'm saying Hass yeah. need to pull their bloody socks up for everything because what and are they actually bringing to the two of them at the moment? Um, it's the end of the season, I don't care. Um, yeah, it's just why they pitted him so early for what and it didn't do anything and just. Like didn't even make any progress up the grid. It was normally you see a little bit of fluctuation up and down as pit stops come and go, but he just seemed to be permanently in last place and just did bugger all. And you think, oh, you were in pole in Brazil. I know it was a year ago, but still, you know, like that's what you could do. And and we're here. Do better, house. Yeah, just not their finest hour, I don't think. And unfortunately, especially with the amount that Nico has been able to extract from the car this year, it's been a pleasant mm-hmm. surprise seeing what Hulkenberg's been able to do with it. Um, it's been Q three eight times this year. Yeah, like it's it's made Kevin's shortcomings just that little bit more significant. Like I will flick over to my data, like the qualifying head to heads. If you include the sprints, it's eighteen ten Hulkenberg to Magnussen, and it's no better if you just do it by off the races where it's fifteen seven. It's which you shouldn't just be able to do after so long out of F one. Yeah. Like it's a really good season from Hulkenberg. Hulkenberg again caused less damage than Magnuson by a, a clear million dollars. Um, Hulkenberg had seventy five percent of the point share in the team. Like Magnuson, I think this race perfectly encompasses Magnuson's season in that regard. The fact that he had the floor wiped with him this year. Thank you, Cat. Meanwhile, we'll jump into my spinner, and for me, it's Ferrari, who gambled. It's not a strategy. Yeah, they gambled P2 in the constructors, not in the race, in the constructors on a fucking safety car. Absolutely. There was a 40% chance of. 40% so, you know. is not a winning chance. I don't put bets on 40%. Actually, I do. It's I mean, you put Ferrari. bets on Ferrari. But like, if I'm doing it as a betting strategy with a quid, that doesn't mean you should be doing it for many millions of prize money dollars. Like, And now they know that. Surely they knew that before. Yeah, every day would say otherwise. I think the annoying thing is as well is Stroll had the same strategy and he finished in the points, so Carlos could have well finished in the points as well. Yeah, there was just there was something to be gained there, and they just didn't pull it off. It's, you know, it's bad when Stroll's got a better strategy than you. Yeah, it's just gutting. Anyway, we'll move on to our last spinner for this section. Me. 
everyone else finished the race cleanly and I somehow ended up, I was the one in the car crash a minute away from home. But I did, I can say I crashed with dignity because I had a 400 tea bag bag in my hand and I kept hold of it the entire time. I even left the car with it in my hands and one of the like, pedestrians or like bystanders who's helping us was like put the tea bags back in the car and then when dad came uh to like collect us or like to help us see what was happening i was like the first thing i was concerned about was the tea bags i was like you need to go get the tea bags out of the car we that car's a write-off we don't know when we're next going to see it when we're next going to be able to get those tea bags get the tea bags put them in the car and they came to A&E with us, and then they came home with us. This episode sponsored by PG Tips. Actually, Tetley. Oh, oh, I was going to call Tetley, and I was changed mind at the last moment. <laughs> and there was me I thinking don't... she'd chosen herself as a spinner for the lack of any predictions points. No. Okay, I, uh... right. New spend for the Patreon money. If you subscribe to our Patreon and give us a pound, we'll spend it on Annie May so she can buy some Yorkshire tea and have proper tea. Well, it wasn't. It's not actually me who has those really tea proper. bags. It's they're all for Mum, and I was like, because she was in a lot more shock than I was, and I was thinking, well, she's now going to need a lots of cup of tea. Yeah, she's so she's going to point in the predictions review as well. She's going to want this bag of tea bags. I don't drink that kind of tea. If you're going to buy me tea, I have chamomile tea. Okay, there you are. If you're going to spend money on our Patreon, um, know that it's going towards Ellie May's uh, chamomile tea fund. Or we'll set up a PO box and you can send as much chamomile tea there as you would like. Actually, we'll be getting to or that point later on. If you give us money, then might we might be able to buy a new car. All that. Our yeah. car is no longer. It's in about as good a condition as Roman Grosjean's VF21 from a couple of years ago. I'm sure it's just resting. Beautiful plumage. <laughs> Anyway, have we got any other drivers that are worth a mention from across the weekend that just had sort of decent little weekends? Yeah, straight. Yeah, yeah, not too bad. He's just again, ending his rookie season just tremendously, and again, even if even if it is a sprint win, still has one more win this season. Lando Norris, and I just like saying that. It is. It is a surprising statistic. That is it. Hmm. In some ways, yes. In some ways, it's very fitting. I mean, you look at the qualifying 19-9 Norris to Piastri, you'd expect something more to have come out of it for Norris, but I think bad luck seems to get in the way for that poor bastard. A bit like bad luck always seems to get in the way for Charles Leclerc. Bad luck and strategy. Um, it, It just never seems to pan out right for Norris, but yeah, I think Piastri had a good little weekend of it. Can't can't fault him for that one. Verstappen. Another good weekend to be called Max Verstappen, I suppose. Yeah, it was a bit average, average for him this weekend. I thought. I liked his interview he did with Fernando Alonso afterwards. That was good. Yes. Well, again, that's why he's retiring. You see, he's trying out the punditry for next season, so he's getting the interviews in early for practice, so he knows what he's doing when he's working for F1 TV. Oh, don't say that. Because then I forget F1 TV scores because their subscription, and I might have to listen. Yeah, to but then you can cancel Sky. Mm, maybe. He did say he doesn't know quite know how he's going to top this season. Well, Christian Horner exactly. does. He said that it's not 100%, doing any good is it? Yeah. It isn't 100%. Singapore was the main chink in their armour, but even then, Max Verstappen 
still got fifth. Yeah. But like for Verstappen, he's looking for that hundred percent record, and I think Red Bull are looking for that hundred percent record as well, because obviously, no one in history as a in, in F one has done that. So, I kind of hope it never happens because all my days would be in for such a boring bloody season, and we don't need that two years in a row. I don't want it to happen. I just want to be at the end of it and go, "Well, that was incredible." I don't want to have well, to. Well, no, you just through. had that. You just had that. Very much, yes. But like, it just no, be no, so good to see it. it. Although no. I do like, there's been um, some great graphics. The only way I'll accept it is if it's Williams. Mm. There's been some great graphics going around on the internet. Of do you remember the old? Um, I think it was Porsche um, was celebrate selling the 911, and they were doing it using the the more wins. And it was sort of like Porsche, 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 Porsche. And then there's one year where it's like Audi or something. And then it goes back to being Porsche all the way through. And it's like, nobody can be perfect. And it's just like the constructors yeah. wins from all the races. And it's all Red Bull apart from Singapore where it's Ferrari. And then it goes back to being Red Bull. Absolutely perfect. Favourite graphic to come out of the weekend. It's just truly, truly incredible. Um, but we'll move into our predictions review where it was... Um, when it comes to pole position, it was a point apiece for Timo and Abby with Verstappen. Uh, then it was two points apiece for Timo and Abby with a Verstappen win and a Leclerc P2 and zero so points. So close to getting a full podium this time around as well for me. I was quite close, quite close to getting Perez and P3 there. That I was so conflicted over what I wanted to happen. It's like, do I want him to get P2? Do I want him to have enough time? But then I might lose out on Mercedes getting P2 and the constructors. I don't know what I want here. Yeah, it's a balancing act for you and your hopes, but then uh, no points for fastest lap and no points for a wild prediction for anyone at all. Um, so yeah, relatively low ranking when it comes to our predictions there. We'll certainly wrap up our predictions review in a future episode when we review the season, but uh, I think we all know how that one's panned out. Uh, moving from our predictions to the Fantasy League, and um, when it comes to Abu Dhabi, the highest scoring three teams, Francisco Rhodes 1 and 2 on 322 and 319 points apiece, and then in a very successful third place, EMT Racing, P3 with 318 points, not shabby at all there um meanwhile uh when it comes to the other teams somehow liam i love you coming in p10 this week uh mid-beds racing me a lot. I had to double check that yeah i mm, um mid-beds racing p11 on the curves p17 and my neck might crack p34 overall though like that's the, very fitting right now <laughs> yeah your neck your needs Back. a crack um chiropractic crack adjustment um Overall, though, Alex H9V2 wins the championship on 6,568 points. Francisco Rhodes, 6,451, and Alex H9, 6,306. EMT Racing tops our lot on P6. Mid-Beds Racing, P10. Jaffa Cake Racing, P11. And On the Curbs, P12 with Liam. I love you bringing up the rear in P34. So uh, an interesting season. Um with stuff but to be P12 I don't think secured for ages no one was taking that away from me you had been in P12 pretty much untouchable for quite some time I don't think that was going anywhere I impress um, even myself mine was the last few races really the last third of the season yeah you sort of came out of nowhere and just sort of blitzed up into the top 10 and were quite quite confidently up there which was in an alpha tower yeah impressive in your own little way um 
But that brings you're actually us... a small Japanese man. That brings us to the end of uh, our review of the Abu Dhabi Grand Prix. And um, it's time, before we leave though, it's time to thank the listeners. And this week, it is a big thank you to our listeners in Nairobi, Kenya, and to those of you who join us from Boardman near Kenwick in Oregon. If anyone from the nearby Burnt Field Brewing in Boardman is listening, I love the sound of your mile marker 40. It sounds pretty good. Um, feel free to send us a case. We'll get a PO box or something and you can send it there. In the meantime, though, where can you be found, Timo? Well, you can find me over on Is It Fast on the Curbs, the Nitro RS podcast, Paddock Authority, and of course, ye old Instagram. Wonderful. Ellie May, where can the people find you? In bed. Smart, sensible, no complaints there. And in the meantime, I can be found on Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok as at Jesse on Cars. And if you want even more of me, I can be found writing for Classic Car Weekly. And hopefully at the end of this week, I'm supposed to make my YouTube return. I've got a video that I'm halfway through editing. So I could be back at, at Jesse on Cars on YouTube as well. I keep flaunting with the idea of it throughout the season. I've finally got around to shooting and editing something. So it's it's a promising return um in the meantime though we'll be back with a review of the feeder series action from across the weekend and of course a look back on the season as a whole thank you very much for listening and we'll be back shortly (laughs) 